City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome in. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's show, me and Chase are back after a couple of weeks off. Uh, ironically, since uh, we went off, the team have not won a single game. Uh, and we last recorded on the 12th of December. So that is quite some achievement. Uh, but we're going to be talking, focusing on today... A little bit of looking at Nick Richards as a starter, looking at the Miles Bridges season so far. Now we have a bigger sample size. Have a look at a Cody Martin return, something that was we did not know about last time we spoke. And then also just talking a little bit about our reflections of the last 10, by the time you're listening to this, maybe 11 game losing streak. Um, and just to share some of our thoughts. So Pat show today, this is the first time me and Chase have linked up now in a couple of weeks. Uh, Chase, did you have a nice Christmas period? I did. It was a nice little break from the action that is uh, Charlotte Hornets basketball, but also just real life, like having so, a couple days off over the holidays. It's always nice. So, But uh, definitely glad to get back into the, the old routine here. So despite the fact that the basketball itself has not been very good, it, it is nice to get back to talk some ball with you, James. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I had a great – we had a great – uh, Christmas as a family, the three of us, it was just super chilled. We had a great time. Uh, I will say I'm wearing one of my Christmas presents on the show and I'm about to show you for our YouTube listeners. You'll be able to see this. Here we go. We have, there we oh, go. there it is. What the all Hornets podcast network t-shirt, uh, which was a Christmas present, which I, I did ask, but then actually <laughs> found out that the store that we have our own t-shirts on, uh, doesn't ship or bill to the United Kingdom. So this is the extent I went. Uh, my mum, who was visiting my grandma in America, had to buy it using my grandma's credit card while in America and fly them back in her suitcase to get me my own T-shirt. So that is some serious commitment for the All Hornets Podcast Network T-shirts. I also got a, a Hum Diddly D quotable T-shirt as well. Um, so if you don't know what we're talking about and you're thinking, what is going on? And I don't know, maybe... Your family don't love you. They didn't get you any Christmas presents. Buy yourself one. Go on the All Hornets store, t-shirt online store. The link is in the description of this YouTube video of this podcast. You'll go over on find there and find yourselves all sorts of t-shirts. We've got some quotable t-shirts, Hot the Fish Grease, Hum Diddly D. We've got the All Hornets Podcast Network t-shirt. So it's not too late to get yourself a Christmas present. Treat yourself this new year. Um, Chase, 10 games. It's been 10 games. So we, we last spoke. We predicted last time we spoke, how many games will they win? I said two. I think you said three or four. I can't remember. We couldn't quite remember what you said. 
We were both wrong. They've not won a single game. And you can see on the stream right here, we have one L for every loss. And you know what? I've taken the big leap of faith because we're recording this on New Year's Day to assume that the Charlotte are probably going to lose to Denver tonight on the road. Um, they are going to be missing Terry's ear on top of Mark Williams and on top of Gordon Hayward and on top of Lorelai Ball. That's actually four-fifths of your starting unit, it sounds like. Um, they are also playing Denver, who've lost two games at home all season. Um, and they're going to be playing Altitude on the fifth or sixth game of this road trip. I don't think it's a stretch to add on the 11th L, maybe 24 hours early. And look, hey, if I'm wrong, I will gladly take the L and the embarrassment of having a, a preemptive video here. Um, and I will gladly take the stick from everybody. But I think it's unlikely. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one, James. It does not seem likely that, you know, after going 1-12 in December, which matched uh, the Detroit Pistons, despite the fact that they set an NBA record for consecutive losses with 28, they still emerged from the month of December with the same record as the Charlotte Hornets, which is Absolutely. just probably the most depressing way to frame this. And arguably, that sentence itself might be the most depressing thing that you could say about the Hornets in the last, like, five years. So that was just an extremely tough month that we went through. And I cannot imagine that despite that tough month and how everyone is probably just urging to get this over with and just get a win in the in the column here. I don't think that's going to happen against the defending champs as we ring in the new year. No, I don't think so. And I will say, if you're listening to this podcast now and if you've been with us all season, and to be honest, the whole last calendar year, it has been the, the, the title of the YouTube video is 2023, the worst year in Hornets history. It very apart from maybe moving up in the draft lottery, that is the only good thing that I can tell you that maybe happened in this year. That is that is it. Um, so uh, absolutely, it's been terrible. And just thank you for sticking with us because we know it's hard to like listen to these podcasts. If you listen to any of the podcasts over the break with Matt Sponauer, with Richie Randall from Buzzbeat, um, hopefully you enjoyed those. Uh, I know we got some really good listen numbers on, on both of those. So we appreciate your support. I just want to say we are not taking it for granted. As hard as it is for you to listen, it is just as hard for us to watch and then have to prep for hours for a podcast, uh, then record it, then edit it all to talk about, like you say, one win in the last four weeks. Um, it's been it's been a tough stretch. We appreciate it. But I do want to say, I know they're on a 10-game losing streak, but I actually think there are some grass green shoots there we say. go give me give me the bright side to the the <laughs> one and 12 december james because i'm a, i'm actually with you because i think i know what you're gonna say well i think there's some mitigating factors firstly we've played eight playoff teams eight out of ten games have been against playoff teams with the 10 game losing streak like teams that even if the hornets were healthy they'd probably be the other team would be the favorites uh they've missed between two and four starters for every single game and they played seven out of ten on the road I mean, you tell any NBA team, I, I don't care who, like any NBA, you take the Denver Nuggets and you take between two or four of their starters, including their best player, and you send them on the road against playoff teams, they're going to be picking up a hell of a lot of L's. Now, yeah, they'll probably win one or two. And Charlotte have let a few games go. And there's been a couple of games like the Indiana game, the Philly game, where it was just got embarrassing. I completely understand that. But there has been some mitigating factors. And... I think there's been some, you know, little bit of emergencies. Nick Smith Jr., okay, has earned a spot now in the rotation, has had some moments. Brandon Miller had some time. Terry Zier had that 42-point game. Cody Martin returned, which we're going to get onto that in a little bit in more detail. 
there has been some uh, slow improvement and some defensive improvement in a couple of games as well. I think they held two teams under 110 points, something they hadn't done up to this point this year. So, look, it's not been great, but I, I do think like if they just picked up one or two wins here or there, I actually think some of their stretches earlier in the season when they were healthier, and like the first 10 games I actually find was like more distressing in some ways than the last 10 games, just because of the expectations of what the Hornets have out there versus the performance. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, you can put it into the perspective of, oh yeah, the Hornets and Pistons both went 1-12. and 12. They were both just as bad in the same month. That's horrible, which it obviously is, but the context behind that is that, you know, teams like Detroit or any of the other bad teams in the league, really, like Washington or Portland or San Antonio, they're all mostly healthy, especially yeah. at the top of the roster. The Hornets are just the exact opposite. I believe they're top three in the league in, like, total games lost due to injury this year. Like, with most of those being to LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Cody Martin, like Brandon Miller has missed a bunch of games. Mark Williams has now been out with a back injury on and off for what seems like almost a month now. Like Nick Richards missed a week and a half or two weeks with concussions. Like every single major rotation player has missed some time with injury. And most of the other bad teams can't say that about at least to the degree that the Hornets can. So you can always convince yourself like, okay, once this team gets healthy and gets some sort of rhythm under their legs here, Obviously, they're not going to be good because <laughs> if you no. were, you wouldn't go on ten game losing streaks at all. Exactly, but they um, will we're be not... better. Like, yes. which is at least a positive. They're not seven and twenty three. They're eleven yeah. and nineteen. You know, right? And I think that's the difference that we're talking about here. Um, and like, to the people who listened to our last episode, Richie, you know, we did our blame pie chart, and I think I had a look down to two point five percent. We obviously pre-recorded that before the Christmas period. If I did that again now. I would increase that luck percentage because the injuries have actually got worse since then. And, you know, there's been even more stuff that's happened in the last 10 games. So um, I would increase that a little bit. I think the Hornets are getting unluckier with some of their injuries. I mean, if it's not a, a calf strain, an illness, whatever it is, visa issues getting into Canada. I mean, like what is next on this list on the injury report? I'm, I'm interested to see. Um, another little bit of luck, just to mention as well, that over the to the season, so in fact, the month of December, the Hornets were 26th in the league in opponent wide open three-point percentage. So opponents shot 43.3%, which essentially means that there were 26 teams that shot worse on wide open threes than that, which basically means that the Hornets got pretty unlucky with opponent shot quality. Um, now you could argue that uh, oh, well, are they leaving really good shooters open? And that's why, well, there's all this math that basically they figure out their the shooter's average percentage and they're around 26th as well, even with all that taken into account. So other teams have been shooting well on top of everything, which is, you know, this is how you end up with a 10-game losing streak. Longest streak since 2014-15. You have to have these compounding things. Injuries, people playing poorly, other teams playing well, on the road, you know, all these things that put together. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been brutal, but like you say, I think there has been, you know, the first half of the Denver LA games, uh, Toronto game, the Clippers game, like they've actually played well when undermanned and even been up in some of these games. And you've thought, wow, considering who's out there, these guys are playing well. They've just never been able to, to really kind of extend any leads and sustain any period of good play. Um, but 
I have been encouraged with some of what I've seen. Uh, and I'm not just saying that to try and show a pinch. I'm just being completely honest. There's been times, spots, moments here and there where they have, they've played hard and they've played some good basketball. That first half of the Denver game, I thought was the best I've seen with Bishop Charlotte play all season. Yep, I completely agree. I was just going to say the first half of that Denver game, uh, they went up, I think, we're up by like six at halftime uh, that game. It was a, a, in Charlotte. Obviously, yeah. they follow it up with a, I think they came out, they were outscored 30 to nine in the third quarter. Yeah. Like a 25 digit. to one at one point, I right. think it was. Yeah. yeah, to start the the third quarter. So they completely handed the game to the Nuggets to start the second half. But I mean, if you want to isolate it, like that first half, if you can get some sort of repetition from that, like going forward from the players that were on the court at the time and then adding LaMelo and whoever was missing in that game to the fold, like there are positives to be taken from this. And if you want to look at it from another lens also, which is probably getting old after <laughs> for the last five years looking at uh, basketball through this lens. This does guarantee another high draft pick and all but assures that the, t- the team sells at the deadline. There's probably no salvaging this season if this win streak lasts much longer and if the team doesn't respond with a win streak that's of, you know, about a handful or six games. Oh, the season's soon. not like, being salvaged. There it, is the just season no... Is gone. Yeah, is, there's like a 1% gone. chance that they do anything that brings them close to it, even a 10 seed right now. So if you want to look at it like that, the, the doom and gloom perspective, like Hornets are probably going to get another top eight, seven, maybe top five draft pick. And there's a strong yeah. chance that the team sells off some assets at the deadline. So Honestly, at least we got that. <laughs> the, the first overall pick on this year's draft might be a bad contract. I, that, that might not be Ooh. hyperbole. Like, no, actually, that's a very good point. With the amount of development that that player is probably going to have yeah. to undertake on their rookie contract, making like basically mid-level exception money, that's actually a very good way to look this at it. This draft is horrendous. Like, yeah, I, the, I've the top has very, very now. little star quality. Oh, it is. You you don't want to get the first pick. You like Because the mm. guy picking going one is the same as the guy going five. And you have to pay them so much more money. Um, but we'll we'll get onto all that a long time. But oh, despite yes, every <laughs> despite the season being lost, you should st- keep listening because there are yes. still things that we have to take out of this, right? These are important things, and nothing is more important than Cody Martin returning to basketball after a full season off and a little bit on top of that. Um, who knew when we were gonna see Cody Martin? Uh, just what was your reaction seeing, uh, you know, the Cody Martin being made questionable and coming back? Hey, man, first of all, when he was made questionable, I was like, he's obviously going to play. There's no way yeah. they would have upgraded him if he was no. going to, you know, go to questionable and then sit out. It would have been the all time like let let Trump. down for the fan base yeah. after like a year of him missing basketball. But I mean. His legs look good, man. Like, obviously, he has that highlight dunk, which is a good boost probably for him. Everybody on the team, like, seeing him do that in traffic. He has a nice block, too, and some pretty good high-effort rebounds in traffic as well, which all of that takes confidence that you're going to be able to, like, out-jump guys, and you're not going to land on someone's foot and tweak your knee in the slightest bit and have to come out of the game. Like, I've been impressed with how athletic he looks. He looks really confident, too. Very happy for him in that regard so far. What, what was your immediate reaction to Cody Martin's return, James? Relief. Um, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know if we were going to see Cody Martin play basketball again. Um, I I hoped we did, but there, you know, the team never 
ever came and said, you know, he will be back this season. That was never something that was said. It was a lot of he's ramping up, you know, we have to take it easy. We have to be careful. They were clearly trying to manage expectations. And look, it's clear when you see him on the bench with his knee wrap and everything like that, he, he's not 100% healthy. But I have to say, he's not playing like he's having to play hurt. The last time he came back, he came back for that, I think, seven-game stretch last season in January. And he just didn't look right. Uh, he didn't look right on the court. He looked like he was limited. Uh, that is a different Cody Martin we're seeing now. It's only been four games, five by the time you listen to this. Uh, and hopefully I'm not, not jinxing anything, but he looks to be bouncy. Like he's had some chase down blocks. He's had a, got up for that big dunk of his left, uh, jumping off his left knee. It, it looks like the same old Co Cody Martin. It's like he's never gone away. It's kind of a bit like a time machine. Um, and it's just bizarre to see because we've not seen it so long. And again, those... Those plays jump up, jump out so much from Cody Martin when he's taking charges, getting steals, because there's just no one else on this roster who does the things that he does, uh, which is extremely worrying. But I mean, for the for the time he's been on the court, he's been on the court, I think, 88 minutes. He is a plus 2.9 net rating, uh, which considering those are four games where the Hornets have lost all of them uh, and they've not been especially close, that's pretty impressive. And I think that's just what you can kind of come to expect with Cody Martin. This team is like, he already looks like this team's best, like bench rotation wing player. And he's played literally four games coming off a very, very serious knee injury. So I've been really positively surprised. We said the same thing about Miles Bridges. And we're going to get onto that. When he first came back, he looked sprightly and looked better than ever. I have to say, I think the, the same thing with, with Cody at the moment as well. Yeah, I mean, he has been pretty much the exact type of two-way role player the Hornets have needed in the rotation all year, but especially just since he's went down, like four for nine from three in the first four games, shooting like mid-40s percent overall from the field, seven steals and two blocks in four games. Like, does all the little things as the epitome of like a hustle player, just every single thing that was missing when he went down has returned right off the bat when he got back which yeah. is extremely positive to see like the only thing that i haven't you know seen as much from is the playmaking production but like if you want him to be perfect right away after missing all that time in the last two seasons then that would be a tall ask but i mean over time i wouldn't be surprised if that comes back as well just given the lack of point guard depth on this team and the yeah. general dearth of playmaking when the mellow ball is out but well, his, right usage now, I mean, is up at, his usage is up at 17%, which is would be a career high for him. Mm -hmm. um, because like Steve Clifford has been so desperate to get this guy back and has obviously had to be extremely careful with the medical team. But they're putting the ball in his hands. Like you say, he's, he's not got the assist numbers yet, but um, I think that's going to come. And, uh, you know, currently Bryce McGowan has been starting while Haywood has been out. And I, I, I kind of think they'll maybe just keep Cody coming off the bench for now, just not to overstretch him and to try and be really careful of him. It would be a little bit, I think, reactionary. But at the same time, it also wouldn't surprise me if at some point Cody Martin does become that starting player while Gordon as Hayward is out. If he's feeling great physically, um, yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, if we get through a week here and he's still playing the same minutes load as what he has now, or if not playing an even heavier minutes load, like at a certain point, you just have to start your you know, five best players or at least your f best five-man lineup. And you'd have to imagine that once the sample size get there, Cody Martin is going to be a part of that best five-man lineup, especially when LaMelo is out. So 
I mean, overall, extremely impressed by Cody Martin. Very happy for him that he was able to come back with so much confidence and be able to just be himself, like, right away. It's, yeah. it's been great to see. I just hope he can stay healthy the rest of the season and mm -hmm. hopefully next year when there should be more meaningful basketball back, you go into next year knowing what you've got in him, knowing that you can count on him in the rotation next season and not more question mark of, well, is he going to be here or not? Because the Hornets need to know, right? They, they need to know either way. So that, that's positive to see. Um, Nick Richards, as you said, Mark Williams has been out now for pretty much since we last recorded. And a really mercurial injury. Um, it, it was listed as a lower back contusion. Contusion normally means like when someone has been hit there. Like, so that normally means like bruised generally. Um, and then he's just not been able to go. He's been listed doubtful basically every single game. Um, interestingly, Rod Boone wrote an article today at the Charlotte Observer, and there's some interesting quotes in here, which I just thought I'd quickly read, because this is obviously linked to Nick Richards starting. He said, um, and this was after the Toronto game, I went to the locker room, got an MRI, got a CT scan, dealing with a strain or whatever again. I've just been trying to get back, but yeah, it sucks just to be watching. I'm doing everything I can treatment-wise. Um, and then in terms of what he has to do before he comes back, he says, quote, I have to get through some practices, some two-on-two -two stuff at practice, shooting around. It's just going to be like a whole day's thing. It's not just going to be get up and go. Um, he said, I feel like I have a pretty good pain tolerance, but right now I just can't. I can't go right now. Which those last two lines sound like he's not close, if I'm being really honest. This isn't like, yeah, I'm going to be back in the court anytime now. I'm feeling a lot better. This is. There is a strain, which is more worrying than I think the lower back contusion that was initially listed. And when you talk about seven foot guys with lower back strain issues, that's extremely worrying. Um, so obviously the CT scan was clear. That's the good news. But backs are very, very complicated things. And I just hope this is a muscle tweak and not more something more complex because um, the last thing the Hornets need is a seven foot big who's their starter who may or may not be available here and there due to a back injury so i just thought interesting news to share linked to this nick richards return but over that time nick richards has had the opportunity to start someone who i once dubbed before the season the best backup center in the nba um we might revisit that take uh, in just a few minutes here what have you made of the nick richards starting experience all right so We'll start this off on a positive note because from what I've gathered from your comments and from what I have in my notes, a lot of this is not going to be overly positive. But I do think in his 11 games that he has started uh, in the last like month or so, he has proven himself to be one of the better rebounders like per minute or production-wise at his position. He is in the 68th percentile in defensive rebounding percentage per cleaning the glass. He has double-digit rebounds in six of those 11 games. He's very impactful on the defensive glass, obviously uses his size well, and is at least a physical guy that can carve out some space if he wants to and is willing to battle on the glass especially. There's not a lot that gets by him on that end. You don't really see him like getting beat for rebounds necessarily unless... Oh, I don't know. I saw, just, I, was, I saw Nurkic giving him a... Yeah, right. Him that, so Nurkic is is, def, is a bit of a different story because the, the guys like that are just very... Obviously, the Hornets just have proven again and again to not be able to handle guys that are just going to impose their 
toughness and physicality on them. A, a um, real but... a real question about that, just on that. You're right, mm -hmm. time and time again, Steven Adams, Valanciunas, Nurkic, anyone who is like big and strong, Embiid, you know, they just, like, you're right, they can't. And I don't think that's necessarily something that Mark Williams, even when he's healthy, projects to like be a solver of. He is not a big, strong center who's going to grab every rebound. This is a major issue. We talked about general like softness and stuff before, but like at some point, this front office, well, not this front office, the next front office will need to address that. And like, I'm not ruling out that even though Mark Williams looks great, and has shown some flashes that there isn't other ways that maybe you look to upgrade that center position and you still bring Mark Williams along slowly. If you want to go and like start competing next year, I don't think Mark Williams is going to be able to, at the Mark Williams-Nick Richards combo, will be able to deal with those guys every, every single game, even next season. So that's just something I just want to look flag just at the moment. I think that's something the team need to consider. Yeah, and I mean, even going forward, those matchups, they're always going to struggle with, but the other matchups where the centers are more mobile, versatile, better shooters, more perimeter-based is also not a good matchup for this center combo right now. And, I mean, with what you've gotten out of Nick as a starter, like, you've seen it last year, this year, at any time in his career, like, I feel like you can kind of tell that he's just a, you know, not a very, he's not a very skilled offensive player, does not process the game quickly at all, is a good rib protector, defensive rebounder, and like off ball, like lob finisher, cutter, dunker spot guy, which is pretty much like a good fit for a low usage backup role and a spot starting role. But if you are somebody that, like we just said, doesn't think that this center rotation is cut out for like playoff success right now, he, I think Nick is the player that you want to like consider moving at least before Mark, because Mark shows significantly more potential on both sides of the ball than Nick does right now but also because he's on like a pretty team friendly contract even for the negatives that we just said 5 million dollars a year is pretty good for a guy that can at least give you like 15 minutes and is going to finish efficiently and get some rebounds like there are other teams that will value this it's just clearly not working for the hornets right now and like he hasn't been bad if you just look at the box score but a obviously they've lost 10 games in a row so nothing is really working for anybody but i I, I honestly think his just lack of like utility and versatility at yeah. the five is one of the biggest reasons the why they are losing these games. Like he just hasn't grown as a player, really. He's gotten better at things he was already good at, which does help. Like that's why he is capable of being yeah. that backup spot starter, low usage guy. He's just not going to elevate your team in any way. And the Hornets are a team that need people that are going to elevate them in the rotation right now. Like players that don't do that are just going to look really out of place. Like I've seen uh, Israel, uh, all Hornets former contributor, has posted multiple clips on Twitter of Steve Clifford screaming at Nick Richards to like step up, set screens on time, like roll to the rim on time, like. I'm, there's a clip where if you uh, that he posted, if you turn your volume up all the way on your phone, you can hear Steve Clifford go, Nick, Nick, set the fucking screen. <laughs> and like Nick is in his fourth season. Like these types of things just cannot be happening from players that you rely on to be like consistent contributors. Like if you're a guy that plays 
12 to 15 minutes off the bench, that's fine. But Nick is like supposed to be like one of your top six or seven guys right now. And I just that's what you're having to coach. If you're the head coach, right? You're having to worry about all these things on the floor. If you're having to tell your center to set a screen, like then that means you're like coaching the very first hurdle of a 24 mile marathon hurdle race. Right. There's so many more complexities, intricacies that you're having to coach against, you know, your help defense and everything like that. But if you're having to worry about someone setting a screen, like no wonder we see some of the more complex stuff that the team struggle with. Right. Right. But, right. Like Nick has played 2000 minutes in his NBA career and has every physical advantage to be a good screen setter. And it just hasn't happened. So at a certain point, like, what are you gonna? When are you gonna expect it to improve? And when are you gonna get other players that are good at those things to be able to take him off the court in situations where it's not working? Which has happened many times, especially early in the season. But mm. even now, like when he's the only center that they have to rely on, really, that's not on yeah. a two-way contract. Well, look, you look at the stats, the real stats, and they're perfectly fine. As a starter, twenty-nine minutes per game, he's at nine point four points, eight point three rebounds. 1.3 blocks, uh, 69% from the field, uh, 2.5 fouls per game. You look at that and you go, that's, that's all right. But I'm also going to tell you, if you play any seven-foot like NBA basketball player 29 minutes per game for like 10 games in a row, they will put up points and rebounds. It's just something that centers have always done because a lot of their points don't always come from like necessarily skill. It's normally from the benefit of others. And Nick Richards fits this this mold exactly. He's not someone who's generating. He's someone who grabs a rebound or essentially gets a, a dump off or an alley-oop at the rim. I want to take you back to 2012-13 to the Bobcats, Chase. Byron oh. Mullins. The Charlotte Bobcats traded a second-round pick for Byron Mullins. And Byron in that year, 27 minutes per game, averaged 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and half a block per game. And you could look at that and go, oh, Byron Mullins, that's that's not too bad, you know. But you just have to look at like, yeah, but he, he got minutes and he got shots. And after that, he was basically out of the league within a season. Uh, it doesn't matter what stats you put up, especially in the modern NBA, these, or this offensive NBA. Like, I feel when I watch the games now that stats seem to like mean less and less. And I'm trying to focus on the eye test more and more. And I agree with you. The eye test for Nick has just been like, you don't feel him out there. You feel like he's a step late, that the other team are playing with him like at center in terms of getting him to bite on things. And even if you compare his, those points, those numbers I gave before, it was nine and a half points, eight rebounds, 1.3 blocks. That was in 29 minutes per game. These are his numbers off the bench in 17 minutes per game. Eight points, six rebounds, 1.2 blocks. So he's scoring a point more and grabbing three more rebounds in another 12 minutes. That is not the impact I think you would expect to see. Um, especially when, again, you're playing with, I know you're playing against better players, against starters, but you're also playing with better players who are able to get you looks. Um, so for me, it's just been, it was an opportunity where Nick really could have you know, made a case to, to show that he's a starting level center in this league. Like, other kind of backup centers have done when they've got that opportunity. Naz Reed got that a little bit last season in Minnesota. And, you know, now he's back to a bench role, but you know, he could start on 15 teams in the NBA. Um, 
And he just hasn't quite taken that. And like you say, it's just cemented that he's fine as a 15 minute per guy night, perfectly solid, not going to kill you. We'll have nights where he looks good. Um, but it's just too inconsistent. You know, the, the Denver game that we referenced earlier is probably his best game of the season or at last, last month. 12 points, 15 rebounds, three blocks, three assists. Thought he played Jokic really well on both ends. Um, and, and you look at that and you go, there's there's the formula for what the good looks like. But we just don't see that consistently enough. And if you want to start in this league, you have to be able to play consistently. And he's just not able to impact the game in enough ways on both ends on a consistent basis. I will also say, I talked about my quote which was, uh, you know, best backup big in the league. I think I might have said top three in preseason. Um, I, 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 to, actually, I think you're right. I think we settled on Al Horford and Nas Reed being the two that were better than him, like yeah. firmly. I, I want to add, I want to I own my L's. And the Hornets have got a lot of L's, and this is one I'm going to own. I went back through the list, and I've decided to, to do my backup center re-rankings. Um, Nas Reed is still there. Al Horford's still there. I believe we had Rob Williams actually there as well. Who I know oh, he's injured yes. this year. We're not going to see him, but we had Rob Williams. I'd have those three still. I think I would also probably add Walker Kessler has been coming off the bench for the Jazz. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein is now starting for the Knicks, but was a backup. I would probably add him in there. Uh, I would actually maybe even add Mo Wagner for the Orlando Magic, who's been really, really good this year. Mm. And Onyeka Kongwu is right around where Nick is, probably similar to like Mo. Um, so... We might have to to re redo that to a top ten backup center in the league, which isn't nearly as impressive as as what I initially said. But um, look, he's still got time to turn this around. Uh, this is the first time playing against starting level players. It's an adjustment for him. This is not us writing Nick Richards off, but we're just saying that I don't think he's really taken the opportunity with two hands that he he could have done. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, uh, let's move on. Miles Bridges. Last time we spoke about Miles Bridges in any depth, I think it was our uh, our nine and sixty pod uh, or nine. I can't remember. Was it nine and forty five? Where we talked about all the players and basically six minutes. Um, we now have a much larger sample size for Miles Bridges, um, which is you know beginning to get a better idea of what he's going to be as a player for this year. So he's now played uh, nineteen games. He's up at thirty six minutes per game. Um, yeah, I'm going to let you lead off first here. Um, what is now really, you know, a little bit on from his hot start. What have been your big picture takeaways of, of Miles Bridges' season so far? Kind of got forgotten a little bit in this myriad of injuries since he came back. So, I mean, he, for all the credit that he deserves, did have a very good start when he came back. The first, like, five or six games, he was scoring very efficiently. It was probably the reason that they won that Celtics game, which... Seems so long ago, but I think was the second most recent win that that the team had. Um, was not even in the month of December, but I digress. Uh, 
those were a very there was a very good stretch for him like right off the bat when he came back since then i genuinely think that every aspect of his game has taken a dip and i think i'll i'll just start this with my my strongest take of the of everything i have in my notes here there's like a very strong argument that he is one of the worst perimeter defenders on ball and off ball like all encompassing in the nba right now I don't, and I'll be per- right off the bat. The numbers don't align with that. I'm pretty sure he's like barely even a negative player in terms of on-off rating defensively. But if you watch the Hornets play consistently, which there are not many people that are doing that outside of the Hornets fan base uh, in recent months, but I didn't even I know the Hornets lot- fan base are right now. <laughs> right, yeah, that's actually a very good point. But for those that are, I honestly, I feel like he is perhaps one of the most mistake prone defensive players that I have watched in my time watching basketball, which granted is not all that long, but it spans well over a decade at this point. The I'll start with on ball depending, defending opposing wings and forwards. He has been like genuinely terrible. He allows 1.2 points per possession and isolation possessions per synergy which is the 11th percentile in the league. And that matches the eye test. He's mm. poor and late on contests. He doesn't util- utilize his strength or length the way he does offensively. He just gives up a lot of space and room and doesn't really force anyone to do anything in 1v1 situations, He's, which is especially concerning to me since that's like ideally his role as a defender on this team is being the guy that can guard opposing wings and being able to limit them, which is are the most important position in the NBA right now. And the Hornets just don't have anybody that can defend those players one-on-one and off ball defense is much of the same. His instincts to collect those like highlight reel help side blocks and just his general like explosiveness, like maybe has improved like to give him some credit here defensively, but I, it's just not impactful at all. Like to me, like he falls asleep off ball, which frequently makes oh. him late in rotation. On like, the strong so... side, n- not even like complex actions. It's not exactly. even like, you know, he has to chase through and elevate the screen and he's getting caught. This is like someone is dribbling with the ball and he's just like on the strong side. He just doesn't check his shoulder for four seconds and he sags too far off his man and he sh- shoots the ball. It, it's not even complex. It's like he's, it's it's honestly like he doesn't care the off yes. ball defensively. He has zero interest, which is, you know, in this in preseason, I remember during training camp, one of his big things was he's saying that he he's focusing on the, the defensive side of his game because that's what Clifford wants him to focus on. Well, if this is him focusing, then holy hell, like he has some major issues because I, I agree with you, like the, the off ball stuff has been uh some of the worst I've seen since he has been in Charlotte. And like when you're younger, you can you say, oh, like he's still adapting to NBA concepts. But I don't care. Like from time off, this is just stuff that like turns like you you learn the scouting report, you pay attention to shoot around in film. These are these are things that you can learn. This is not a sharpness fitness thing. This is just I, I just don't know if he's wired that way. I really don't. And it's annoying because we had that stretch in the COVID year where he's coming off the bench behind PJ Washington, and he was playing really physically. He's rebounding the ball at a super high level and he was playing good defense. And he ended up forcing his way into the starting lineup after coming off the bench. And I almost think now that James Borrego did that on purpose to kind of like light a fire under him to try and get him to buy him to defend, but just kind of 
gifting him into the starting lineup and paying him 36 minutes tonight, it's like he is just pacing himself on the defensive end. I'm not sure for what, uh, but it's just been, I've not seen him defend well since that stretch in 2021, uh, which is a very sad thing to say. Right. And if you defend for one small stretch, when you come off the bench at the beginning of a season in your five season career, you are just an extremely unreliable player on that end. Like there's no way around it. And that is going to extremely hurt or going to really hurt the team considering how many minutes he plays. Like he right now, I think it helps because he is like tethered to other good players in the lineup because he's not really, he has actually been a playmaker in the last couple games, but he's really not a playmaker at all. So that he has to play with like other good players and players that can pass the ball and move the ball within the offense. But defensively he just is like i i mean he, he might be one of the worst defensive players in the hornets rotation right now which is he's part of the problem tough. yeah he is a, he might be the biggest part of the problem like considering how much he plays and what he's supposed to be for this team like mm-hmm. terry rozier is 6-1 you can't blame it on him nick richards is supposed to be a backup center you can't fully blame it on him even though it's certainly partially his fault now that he's been starting these games Miles is a 6'6", explosive, strong-built, like supposed to be able to switch between guard and forward positions and has the frame and athletic ability to stick with really anybody in the league. And he just doesn't do it and really has never done it and right now might be the worst stretch in his entire career. Like it's just not it's not something that's sustainable for the Hornets at all. Like it's it's just really really tough to watch over the last like couple weeks. I can tell you've taken offense at watching Miles Bridges play defense. I, oh re- God, I could. Dude. You don't often get like you know emotive when you speak about the Hornets, but that Miles Bridges defense has definitely got your your gears grinding. I can tell. I've got. I have a take that I don't think there's anybody in the league that spends more time standing still than Miles Bridges, offensively, defensively. <laughs> there's nobody that spends more time with their two feet flat on the ground, standing in the same spot. Than, than miles like that'd be a great he, he has some some strong positives as an offensive player but effort engagement like awareness defense these are not a part of those mm. those positives well on the other side of the ball um it's fair to say his numbers have been a, a little bit down for, especially from where they were at the start but just generally compared to his career he's got a, a true shooting percentage of 53.4 which the Two previous seasons, he was up in that 59 to 62 range. He's always been like a pretty good, efficient player. That has definitely dropped. And look, it is the environment, <clears throat> and we should have probably said this for the Nick too, the environment has not been great. Players in and out of the lineup, tough opponents. Or, or we don't need to go over all that again. But I will say there is definitely some of this is self-inflicted with some of his decision-making when he has the ball. There's been a lot of isolations that I feel are, these aren't, end of the shot clock, I need to get a shot isolation. These are like 16 seconds left. I'm going to grab the ball, jab step, jab step, and decide what I'm going to do. Um, and I, like, I, don't, I can't tell right now if Steve Clifford is just kind of happy with the lack of offensive talent for them to do that right now, or if Miles Bridges is just like blowing off the system and doing this and Steve Clifford doesn't have a choice but to play him because of who else is available. I, I honestly do not know which of those two things they are, but it is a thing. Bridges is taking 26% of his shots in the mid-range. 
The last two seasons before this, he averaged out at 17%. That's a pretty major jump. And he's shooting a career low, basically 33% from those mid-range areas. So he's taking a lot more mid-range shots, a lot of them being isolations, and he's not making more of them. Um, you know, his three-point shooting has dropped way back off now to like low 30s, which is kind of what he really is as like a three-point shooter. He's a 33, 34% shooter. And like, I will say like all the shooting rust and the efficiency and the percentages, those are the things I expected to be down when he came back this year. So I think it's important we be like not too much of a prisoner at the moment about like the actual percentages on these things because he is still having to get back and he's having to play a lot of minutes because of these injuries. But it's the decision-making, like you say, decision-making on defense, decision-making on offense. That's where I think you can have a more fair criticism uh, generally. Um, but I, I think big picture, this is the thing. If you've told me big picture, these were the numbers after he came back, I think I would probably say that it was better than I thought. Like, if you're telling me, like, back in July this year, that by this point in the year, this is what Miles Bridge is going to average, I'd go, oh, that's that's pretty good. He's not far off where he was. So I think offensively, we can't get too weighed down with some of his struggles. I think some of it is decision-making, which I think can be changed with better health, a different system. But I completely agree with you the the defense side of things um, is my biggest area of concern. Um, and like you said, I, I just sometimes feel the stats are a little bit empty. Like I look up at the end of the game and he's got like 27 and four. And I'm like, I just didn't feel like Miles Bridges impacted that game in that way. Um, the one thing I will say is I, I don't think there was anyone like arguing strongly that Miles Bridges is part of the core anymore. Do you think that, do you think like, there's been a subtle enough change that he's not come back and it's like, well, we have to resign Miles Bridges. I feel like that take is kind of now beginning to wane a little bit. It's like, well, yeah, he, he, has, he has signs and stuff like that, but he's not changing the narrative on this team. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I definitely think there's still a perhaps very vocal or disproportionately vocal minority that you know, kind of planted their flag in the beginning of this whole Miles Bridges fiasco by perhaps supporting him very strongly right from the get-go that now are a little bit too far down that road to go back and be like, no, actually the Hornets should give him up. So I think a lot of those people probably would still consider And it's not let him board. walk. I want to I want to make it clear. It's not just let right, the guy right, walk. It's about right. trading him, sign and trade. You know, you figure, you figure it out, right? It's yeah. about getting something back. And letting him walk, I do think would be again, organizational, well, no, from a strategic point of view would be poor, but like I could actually understand it from a, from a moral point of view if the new owners wanted to take that approach. But I don't think it would be moral. Let's just be honest. Like they've already made the decision to re-sign him once. Right. If they wanted to send a moral message, they could have done that last summer. So I don't know. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And at this point, like he was, when he, at the end of 21-22, was like a what maybe borderline all-star projection maybe yeah, a guy that snuck on to one borderline. or two all-star teams i think if he snuck is... onto an all-star team in the next two years you wouldn't have been shocked right that's yeah. where he kind of was yeah i agree i think that combined with the fact that he missed a year of his prime i think that's completely out the window at this point i don't think there is a relative chance that he makes an all-star team in his career given yeah how poor he is defensively which we just said but also to what you just said 
he doesn't impact the game offensively. The Hornets have lost 10 games in a row and they are 29th in offense with him as like primarily being like the number one scorer. That's not, you know, Terry Rozier who also has to play point guard. Like Miles's job on this team right now is just to put the ball in the hoop. Like he can probably take as many shots as he wanted. Like, which again, like you said, he was taking a lot of isolation shots. It's probably somewhere in the middle between like the coaching staff, just being happy to let it happen because they don't have other scorers and him wanting to put the team on his back. And clearly it's not working in any positive way at all. Like he has not been able to carry the team to no. wins in LaMelo's absence, I, I, which again, that's not like something we yeah. should expect from him. But if you are to be some all-star level borderline player, you would be able to do that, you know, once or twice in 10 games, but it hasn't happened. So I, and, I agree and, look, with you, you that, that he, this is definitely someone they should be looking to like move on from not, via free agency, but definitely trade and just not consider him like a part of their core anymore. And the best of Miles Bridges always was with Lamella Ball. We have to remember that. Like they they did have an electric connection on the court. It was their evident to see. And you've not seen many chances where Lamella, you know, Miles Bridges has been able to catch things in transition and get in the dunker spot and sneak behind the defense. They have been rare. And that's really where he was making, you know, huge eye-popping plays. Um, you know, that's what his game was predicated around. It wasn't around the outside shooting or the mid-range shooting. But he's now having to lean into that more because I don't think he's getting the ball in those same areas. So we have to always remember the context here is is not the best. But I, I understand what you mean in terms of, like, if you're going to be an all-star level player, then like you're able to adapt to your context around and influence. And I don't think we've seen him successfully do that, but to argue the side, maybe it is unfair to be expecting that after a full year off and he's coming back into a, you know, a changeable rotation. And um, yeah, but I, I, I agree. I think overall, I would say I probably fall like flat on it. Like if you look at the numbers, take everything into account, I'd be pleasantly surprised. The eye test is probably worse than that. Um, I kind of fall somewhere just like in the middle, like a five out of 10. Um, whereas I think most people have, have kind of maybe soured even, even more on that. I still think there are things that he can do offensively that just not many players on this team can. And he gives a level of rim protection, shooting and passing that we don't have a lot of in this team. Uh, but it's just not being harnessed in the right way right now. And I don't know how much of that is injuries and system or Miles Bridges himself. While we're on the topic, James, I got a I got a question for you. If the Hornets were to move Miles this season and he were willing to waive his no trade clause, say, I mean, really just for any team that you would be willing to trade him to, would you like what would you expect his trade value to be? Like, do you uh, think he's somebody right now, given how he's played, and obviously the legal situation that renders him unreliable because he's not even allowed to travel to Canada right now and he still has a court date pending for February which is after the trade deadline so this will not be resolved before that happens like what do you think his value is like he's obviously a player that on his face is worth something in a trade yeah but like do the Hornets have to give something up to get something good back like is it just something that teams are going to not ignore, but just kind of put to the side for now since he already was suspended for a year? So like, the, why, where, start, where do you land on that? Let's start with the legal stuff. What I've heard around the legal stuff is that uh, the Hornets are 
not as concerned about the latest charge as a as they were about the initial charge. Um, I won't go into details as to why, but they are they're less concerned. It's going to have an impact on his availability. That's what I've heard. Uh, I don't know that to be fact, but that's just what I've heard. Um, so if that were to be the case, I imagine other teams would get wind of that and would have access to some of the legal stuff. So I, I I'm kind of assuming that the uh, availability point of view from a legal standpoint wouldn't be an issue. Canada probably still would be. Um, so uh, not, not getting traded to the Raptors. You can, can rule yeah, that you, one out. You can definitely rule that one out. Um, look, I think this really depends on his agency and Clutch, which are representing him. Uh, Clutch were very, very good to Miles Bridges throughout his whole NBA suspension. Um, I believe I've even heard that they let Miles stay in like uh, in accommodation rented by Clutch and they had people like stay with him to make sure that he was okay through it all. They went extra mile to support him. And, you know, for a player to go through all of this and not change agencies, that shows that he is very much loyal to them. And we know that Clutch have relationships with certain executives around the league and certain teams. We know the LA Lakers, LeBron James, are very closely linked with Clutch. Um, so, it, they are known to make kind of uh, ahead of time decisions and planning with their free agents beforehand. So let's say, for example, Miles Bridges was traded to the Lakers. He's going to resign there, right? I think you could buck that in. And at that point, you're probably willing to maybe give up more because you know you're going to keep the guy. Uh, how many situations Clutch and Miles Bridges would be willing to kind of make that under the table handshake on? I don't know. I, I don't imagine there are that many, if I'm being really honest, but there will be some. So I think his trade value could be very variable due to that because if you're getting him as a true rental versus getting him with a with a wink-wink nudge that you're going to re-sign, those are very, very two different things. But I mean, as a... I don't think his trade value is great, if I'm being really honest right now, um, because he's someone that he kind of... At the minute, if you look off the tape this year, well, he's not a good defender, as we've talked about. And he's not a great floor spacer, so you need to put the ball in his hands. Well, are any of these playoff teams going to want to put the ball in the hands of Miles Bridges in a starting unit? Probably not. So if you're looking for a sixth man, okay. But then you're talking about like a sixth man for a playoff team. Are you giving around a first-round pick for that? Maybe, like a maybe a bad one. Uh, I, I don't think it's great, if I'm being really honest. Um, and that's why I, I just think it's unlikely that they do trade him at this deadline, even though it, it might make some sense that not, no trade clause hurts as well. I don't think he has a great deal of value chase. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to give you better information than that, but, uh, I don't think he's going to be worth, I think like a late first round pick was probably where I'd peg his value. Which for someone who averages twenty seven and three, uh, is is like not a lot. But for all these mitigating circumstances that we've talked about, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say I unfortunately don't think that his trade value is commensurate with the value he produces in the or provides That's in the, the box score at least. Would you, right would you do it for a late first? <laughs> Let's say a, a, like a first between twenty three and twenty eight. Uh, if you could get a first round pick in this year's draft. Well, that makes it more difficult, right? In this year's draft, uh, for Miles Bridges and an expiring contract, let's say, would you do that straight straight up for Miles? Oh yeah, like absolutely. If if really, 
So I don't know if the Lakers would want to do this, but I think that if they wanted to just upgrade on the Torian Prince slot, I believe yep. they can just trade Miles Bridges for Torian Prince outright, and that trade would work. And it does work in the uh, trade machine. So if they wanted to upgrade on that spot and turn, you know, what is maybe a more efficient floor spacer in Torian Prince into somebody that can what picks create a little bit more, <clears throat> uh, I think they only have like future picks like in like 2028 or something like that or like second round picks uh they have a couple from the clippers i think that are second round picks like but and i think they have a bunch of like late 2020s future first as well, well. it says but, here it says they have a 2025 first round pick and they have a 2026 first round pick which would mean they can trade one of those um they would have to yep. keep one in fact they would have to keep the 2025 because they've traded this year's so that means that oh, we could right. trade, I think, yeah. 2020. And then got no, no, it gets more complicated. No, they are talking about 29, 29, 30. So you're talking about like a late future first round pick. Um, Which, I, given the career stage of LeBron and Anthony yeah, Davis, I don't think they'd is, be willing to give that up for Miles Bridges. You'd, you'd probably want to be getting like, like Siakam or something like that if you're giving up a pick like that. So. Yeah. It yeah. just depends. But, but yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that's where things are at with Miles. Like, I. I still think, like, the franchise... If I was in charge of the Hornets, I'd be saying, it doesn't look great right now, but let's wait till we get to see Miles Bridges back on the court with, like, actually a NBA starting caliber unit, which the Hornets do have. It is semi-respectable. We've just not seen it at all um, <laughs> before we make our final decisions. Um, that's what I'm saying right now. I'm not jumping to any conclusions just yet. Yeah, I mean, that that top seven we were talking about at the beginning of the year, I don't think we've seen it once yet this season, but maybe we sometime... We saw it for a quarter and a half against Orlando. That was Yes, it. That, that is true, before LaMelo went down, you're right. But maybe sometime before the deadline. LaMelo seems to be approaching being close, so he's he's close to being close, which is a positive, I would say. Frank Nielakina had that one assignment to Greensboro, for practice, so he's at least I'm doing so basketball activities. I'm so like glad there, you brought that. There are things happening that, like, and if Gordon Hayward, how long ago was that assignment actually, to Greensboro? That was like two weeks ago. I was, I was gonna, and he's not, I, and he's not I, even I, been, been doubtful or questionable since. No, no. I actually, I've, I had been meaning to ask you about that off air, but I'm glad we got this now, so the listeners can be roped into this discussion. I thought that meant he was going to come back in like a couple days. I was like, oh, cool, they're going to get yes. like Frank Nealakina back, and then. And, you know, a week or two later, they got Cody Martin back. You look at it now, they they maybe have a chance to be, like, a, a reasonably respectable defense with, like, those two guys in their top eight of their rotation. But Frank Nielakina has just been not to be seen or heard from ever since. So I don't know what, what happened with that. But if that if he comes back anytime soon, Lamelo comes back, Hayward's calf strain isn't serious, Mark Williams' is back is relatively functional. Maybe Why is we'll no one get, asked like, about that? Can I just ask about, like, I know I sometimes do NBA media uh, with the Hornets, and, like, I, I sometimes do. I've not been able to do it recently. And, and maybe right. it's because they've been on the road a lot, and, like, a lot of people haven't been, media haven't been tuning in, and also, like, it's just harder to get people when they're on the road. But why has no one said, like, hey, why did someone do one practice two and a half weeks ago? Like, could we have an update? Like, not, not in a negative, we're just, like, is he is he doing shoot rounds now? Is he is he getting closer? There's not been a single question about Frank Nilakina, um, which is just a little bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason for that is because there's one beat reporter 
like full-time beat reporter that covers the Charlotte Hornets uh, in Rod Boone for the Observer. Like there's no athletic presence there or ESPN or obviously like that. So nobody can be there like literally every single day, which I think is probably how the Pistons got so much media coverage for their losing streak. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't understand. It's so weird that like the Hornets been terrible for ages. Yeah, right. They still get nothing. And the horn, like the, the Pistons have a. I know it's because the streak and it's the NBA record. I get that, but um, I don't know. I, I, if the Hornets get a twenty-eight game losing streak, I hope we get the same level of media coverage. At least be good for the podcast, right? So. Yeah. And you, and another reason why is because there's nobody on the Hornets that looks utterly despondent when they lose in the way that Cade Cunningham does with his like thousand-yard stare on the bench. The Hornets just are, you know, sitting there laughing it up in their twenty-thousand-dollar outfits on the bench. Cade yeah, Cunningham is like sitting there, like thinking of his life decisions, like being like, should I have just studied harder and been a scientist like I wanted to be so that I would never have had to lose 28 basketball games in a row? But I, like, I will say I, there's thing. nobody on the Hornets that's questioning themselves inwardly like that within the way that Cade does clearly. Watching Cade Cunningham get a free pass for the Detroit Pistons losing 28 games. It has games. been incredible. If Lamelo While... lost 28 games, oh my God, can you China. imagine? You would it, never it, play it, in the NBA again. They, they, it's hilarious how everybody, uh, like narratives and everything like that around the NBA, how things change, how like, oh, it's free Cade, or oh, they're not they're not maximizing Cade with lineups out there and everything like that. If it's LaMelo Ball, it's so, well, he's just not a player you can win with. Um, right. You, you know what they haven't been doing with LaMelo Ball since he was drafted? Maximizing him with the players in the lineup. Like that... <laughs> It's, it's like it's crazy how the exact same narratives like word for word are applied yeah. to different players and then just used in the complete inverse for other players. Yeah. But this is the cross we bear. We have to we have to fight for for Lamelo, And when he gets it back, is. he'll he'll do. And when he was healthy, he was doing a lot of the fighting for us. So when he gets and back, I, I imagine he'll do the same. I have to say, I think this is the Hornets rock bottom right now. This yeah. is losing streak. Worst year in history. Um, when, yeah. When Lamella Ball is back, I think that's when we can and well, even just get some of these starters back. But you, you, we're in rock bottom right now. I don't know when that rock bottom is going to end. I'm I'm saying it's probably going to be most of January, just judging reading the tea leaves. Um, I think there will be more interesting and more, not meaningful, but more useful basketball to watch and fun basketball to watch later in the season when guys are back. Um, but we're at rock bottom, Hornets fans. And uh, if you can make it through this, you can make it through anything. Um, but we appreciate you sticking with us for 2023. It was a great year. We are looking forward to the 2024 year because there is change. There are winds of change. They're coming, Chase. And, you know, there is going to be a lot of change over the next three to six months, I think we're going to see. And uh, we're going to be here every step of the way in 2024 to cover it. I think for the first time in quite some time, we can say for certain that the Hornets being bad is going to spurn change in within yeah. the organization, <clears throat> on court, off the court. So it's been rough, but we've only got a couple more months until we really start to see some of the tides turn for this organization. So yeah. stick through it. And uh, thank you to everybody that made us a part of their podcast rotation in the year 2023 as well, even though we rounded out on the lowest of lows that you could possibly have as a, as a basketball franchise. 
we are very thankful for you uh, for sticking with us. Absolutely. I mean, on, a, on our YouTube channel as well, if you're watching this on YouTube, shout out. Chase, we're up to 72 dis- subscribers right now, which like, if you're listening to this and saying, like, that's not many, I, I agree. It's really not. But we don't really proactively in, like promote our YouTube. Like, we are a podcast, an audio podcast. We just started throwing episodes on YouTube this year because we thought, why not? So um, shout out to our 72 YouTube subscribers that we have stumbled across. And if, if you found us on YouTube and you didn't listen to us on audio beforehand, um, please let us know because uh, we, yeah, we want to know these things. We're getting over 100 views per episode on YouTube, which is great. Um, we're getting over basically 200 to 300 listens per week on the podcast. These things are still doing well considering the the struggle of this team but but we're here to we're here to help you along the way so we appreciate you um we'll be back next monday to record another podcast um look hornets go beat denver tonight make this whole podcast you know completely useless and i'll happily eat my words um i look forward to watching it in the morning thanks everybody see you later